Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles, and I am the master chef, cooking you up something succulent and divine. It's your boys out here, and we are serving hot talk and cool iced tea. And I'm Mia Mix, here to set the tone and make sure the mood is right. So come on in and get comfortable. Pull up a chair, have a seat. You can even take your shoes off. Wait, not if your feet is down. <laughs> oh, hell no. Welcome, Welcome to Marsha's Plate. The time has come for you to be the change you want them to be, yeah. No more running around filled with all hypocrisy, yeah. It starts from the inside, it spreads wide, and everything will be all right. Just know that it will be all right. It will be all right. It will be all right. Join the conversation. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. Oh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to hear what you guys have to say. You can also help us build community by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Marsha's Plate. By contributing to this podcast, you help us continue our powerful work to change culture one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello. Real ass bitch. Give, give a fuck, fuck by nigga. nigga. <laughs> Real ass tranny give a fuck about a nigga. Most seal, most surge, body getting thicker. Ow. <laughs> right. It's a hot girl summer, so you know she kind of lit. Uh, I can't read your mind. Gotta so say I that shit. I actually don't like that song. Um, <laughs> oh, Why not? I don't know. I just didn't feel it. I feel the collaboration. I feel. Oh. I feel like. Oh my God! Yes, Nikki and um, Meg. Meg is together. I live for that, but I kind of don't like the song. It's, it's gonna grow on you. It's okay because we you know, we gonna wear it out by the time the summer's out. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, I felt like it should have been an all girl. Track. Yeah, I kind of oh, feel yeah. that way too. So I don't like the dude is singing. I hate his part. Uh, I think he fit, I think he fits really well. But the weird is, thing is, is he kinda, no, because okay. it's very girl power. I, I'm here for. It. I think it should have been just women. Yeah, I think I did, they like should have had the city girls since they had. They might come have in a remix, beginning. but I'm talking yeah. about like the. They the, may have a million. The singing, yeah, a million. the singing <laughs> part should have been a girl too. But y'all, like you know, maybe they were trying to sell it. You know, sometimes you gotta be inclusive. Uh-uh, no. <laughs> no, thank <Dust>. you. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to bring niggas. They got enough <laughs> shit they included in. No That's shame. True. But yeah, I, uh, you know, and then the rapping was kind of like, okay. I don't know. I just didn't feel it. I, didn't feel, I, I wanted to feel it. It's I not a bop. A, I thought it was going to be a bop, and it was a oh, flop. No! <laughs> for, for me. For what? me. Baby, I was pussy popping in the mirror as soon as I said, oh, when I heard Megan and Nikki, I said, oh. I liked, yeah. I liked how the collaboration came about. Uh-huh. Like, I watched yeah. their live. Yeah, I thought their live was, was really cute. cute. I love that they then, was matching with the red yeah. hair. Yeah, and then, like, it, it so just cute. came about in that way. That's how it birthed, like, kind of like this friendship like in a way yeah so i thought it was cute and then i was like that's why i like the song because yeah. of the sisterhood they found yeah. throughout the live so it was cool yeah i thought it would be like you remember you remember ladies night 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It should have well, been that. That type of thing. Uh, right, when they had like Left Eye, um, Look Him, oh, Missy yeah. Elliott, oh. and all the girls at the, at the beach, the R&B girls was there, and the rap girls mm-hmm. was there. Yeah. You know, I thought it would, it could have been one of those moments. Very. And, but know. have y'all heard the, like, have y'all paid attention to the responses that cis men put with Megan Thee Stallion, like how, like the comments they make mm-hmm. about her womanhood, like I don't know, you I'm know, sorry, Stallion. Z. I'm sorry, Z. I don't pay attention to this <laughs> men say. Niggas, we don't pay attention to niggas. I mean, the least that I've heard them say is that they they try to shame my good girlfriend. They got face, body. I got everything you need, darling. They be trying to shame her, but she is lovely. She I is five ten. She is a Stallion, darling. Yeah, they, uh, it's just the shit they say. They like, can't take. Like they can't take the alpha female. Because that's of, the problem. It's just the fact that she's tall. She's a lot of woman. She shit on niggas. It's just like a lot of ass. Like, oh no, she's like, strong what do they in the be face. Saying? Like what do they be saying? Like okay, for example, I went on Twitter. I knew this was like like a silly joke in a way, but he was like. Uh, you know, stallion means male horse, and then like he put like the sips tea type of thing. Well, where is he from? Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, in the in the south in Texas, baby, I've been out, and when when a girl walk by and they and they built and they got the thighs and, and the, the high body, booty and they, and they, and they waist is snatched and they and they are giving it, the niggas be like, God damn, that's a stallion right uh-huh. there. They be like, and they, they made the whole song. It was like, look at like a stallion, and she dancing, dancing like, like a, a pro. Hey. hey. That's how one of the songs yes. goes. So I mean, now all of a sudden, this big tall woman. Well, that's just them trying to police, yeah. and they're yeah. doing. That. To me, mm-hmm. I think that's them because, like you said, he put the little sippy, the right, little right. sipping something to be shady. But <laughs> when black women are successful, they're uh-huh. always gonna try to cut them with some men, yeah, um, with some old man shit. Same thing they with Serena Williams. Right. They try to do that little stupid bullshit. Mm-hmm. Then what else did I see? And then first of all, first of all, motherfuckers ain't used to looking at real women like bitches who you know bitches like 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 that we see on a regular every day yeah, when that you look go to like the mall, you go just shopping. normal pretty bitches like just yeah. normal pretty girls that just mm-hmm. i ain't got the surge i ain't got my face surged mm-hmm. all fucking out i got body regular, i ain't got mm-hmm. got pumped and did i'm about ju- ju- to get I, my nose I just, done yeah and... i just look like a regular black girl and pretty black and yes girl. sometimes right. my titties do sag but bitch that's because they're... i'm a fucking woman <laughs> yeah that's what's gra- bitch gravity <laughs> right motherfucker. <laughs> this is what natural titties do right. you're so used to motherfucking titties sitting up to your chin right that you you're not used to seeing some real stuff right and so not saying that you know getting surgeries of course yeah, 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 uh, i'm a yeah. trans woman yeah. i'm not against no surgeries yeah but definitely probably what you want to have to is that that's a man because I'm not living up to this standard. Yeah, I'm not the fuck these. Out of here. But that's the this that's they've been policing women for the ages time. Like we can't do anything. Respectability politics. Like we just went to a, a vigil. Did I say the right? Is that a, a vigil? Mm-hmm. We just went to a vigil um, because t- today because a black trans woman was murdered, yeah. found murdered in Houston. They haven't released a name. We kind of think we know the name, mm-hmm. but we can't release it yet. We still trying to keep it under wraps. Um, but we did. A visual for her and yes there you go <laughs> yes and and before i began talking because everybody there was uh, they gave the space to black trans women and uh, or trans people uh um people who identify with the trans experience 
they gave us the floor. And um, before I started speaking, I apologized about what I had on. Mm -hmm. But just the mere fact that I had to that they even thought they even crossed my mind to be like, oh, damn, I should apologize about what I got on because I don't feel like it's it's appropriate for a woman to be Mia in this space. Mia is a like bad bitch. <laughs> Mia is a bad bitch but and Mia dressed like a bad bitch. <laughs> all the time. All the time. And all so time. she has a bad bitch outfit on. She got a body. So, you know, she was looking like a bad bitch. They were just coming from the mall. And, you know, so Shit. she just felt the need to apologize because of respectability politics. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as soon as we got out, I was like, bitch, don't be fucking apologizing for right. what you got yeah. on. <laughs> mm -hmm. You exactly. grown, you look sickening. Right. Yes. And as my mother should. She always affirmed me. Been affirming me since I was what 22 21 yeah. mm -hmm. but um yeah and, and just the fact that i had to even that even crossed my mind but i think women as a whole were always thinking of okay am i am i going to be um criticized by what i have on um can can i can i wear a shirt without a bra without older women looking down at me or or can i wear <laughs> like what i want to wear yeah girl <laughs> Or or can I go to church with this uh this this outfit that is maybe presumed to be hugging my body, but because I'm a black woman and black women are naturally curvy, mm -hmm. that most of my clothes is going to be form fitting. So mm -hmm. I think I think um yeah, a respectability politics has a lot to play with um the way that the the rap women are treated in the industry and just in general and the masculinization as a insult is yeah. something that is something is rooted that's rooted in white supremacy mm. it's something w black women has always been less refined more masculine and mm -hmm. that's been the stereotype if you know they're mm -hmm. you know they're rough because we have to fucking do the work and mm -hmm. do all that kind of stuff and the white women sit up in the fucking house and pooch and don't and be pooch. tall on top of that yeah, don't be that, a, so a fat black woman on top of exactly. that exactly or don't be a naturally fit black woman because mm -hmm. there are women that are naturally toned no. but but you want to know something they and I hate to say it in these terms. They bred us like cattle. They they. So of course we gonna look strong. Right. You the strongest motherfuckers to, to do your some... fucking work. Of course we gonna look strong. We gonna be fit. Our body. We gonna, the niggas is gonna be tall and athletic. Cause in the motherfuckers well, big you old, big old BBC. Cause y'all niggas. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I thank you. <laughs> big old BBC. So misgendering. Um, um, black women is a part of um, the it's white true. the white supremacist agenda. Agenda has been a part of it. So this is a perfect place for us to talk about trans one hundred and one, and it's going to be misgendering. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans One Hundred and One. Now listen, I know that what is basic trans one hundred and one for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass.
for people who are transgender, non-binary, or gender not conforming, coming into their authentic gender can be an important and affirming step in life. Sometimes people continue to refer to a person who is transgender, non-binary, or gender not conforming using terms related to how they identify before they transition. This is known as misgendering. Misgendering occurs when you intentionally or unintentionally refer to a person, relate to a person, or use language to describe a person that does not align with their affirmed gender. For example, referring to a woman as a he or calling her a guy is an act of misgendering. Now, because of patriarchy, language usually skews towards men. So we say things like mankind and all of man is included in this glorious day. All of man shall revel in this wonderful overtaking, blah, 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 blah. Or we can walk into the room and say, hey, guys, I would like everybody to move to this side of the room. And we mean everybody, men and women, but we call them guys. And it's kind of like a nor informal norm that we kind of are socialized to do because the language is skewed towards men. Some language has an even more in-depth division in regards to gender. Spanish is a perfect example of that. There's a number of reasons why misgendering could happen. For example, people may notice that a person has primary or secondary sex characteristics and make assumptions about the person's gender. This includes a person's facial hair or lack thereof, high or low vocal range, chest or breast tissue or lack thereof, or genitalia. Making these assumptions around gender based on these markers are natural. If you are not sure about somebody's gender, just ask the question. An easy way to ask somebody's question is by introducing yourself and your own pronouns. Like, hi, my name is Diamond and my pronouns are she and her. What's your name and pronouns? If you mistakenly misgender somebody, apologize and move on. Don't dwell on the mistake. Apologize sincerely and move on. Most transgender people know it's hard to break old habits. If you've known us for decades, but our names and pronouns just change, there will be slip-ups. It's okay. We get that, especially from people who we have known for a very long time. The best way to deal with these is to immediately apologize, correct yourself, and move on. Pretending like it didn't happen leaves doubt as to whether or not it was intentional or if you're actually regretting the error. The apology acknowledges the mistake and your continued consistency in trying to use the right pronouns and name is affirmation that you are an ally. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm not a bigot. I'm not transphobic. I apologize. I did that on accident. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to misgender you apologize and move on sitting in that moment is awkward and uncomfortable for the both of us so the apology is the acknowledgement of the mistake and the consistency going forward is the proof that you are not transphobic unintentional misgendering is a small infraction when it is really a problem is when it is too consistent or actually deliberate People who have discriminatory beliefs and ideas about the trans community can use misgendering as a tactic of harassment and bullying. According to the 2015 U.S. Trans Survey, 
which found that 46% of respondents experienced verbal harassment because of their identity, and 9% have been physically assaulted. When you misgender someone, you also run the risk of outing them to other people. It's never anyone's right or responsibility to out a person who is transgender without their express consent. Outing a trans person is not only disrespectful of their boundaries, but it also can result in many unexpected harms, particularly like in Texas. In Texas, it's actually legal for a landlord to evict a tenant because they're trans. All they have to do is not want them there. Because in this state, we don't have protections around gender identity. So you could be misgendering and outing a trans person, and it can have dire consequences to their life and their survival. So the black ass bottom line is that pronouns are required, not preferred. And then if I tell you what they are, use them. If you mess up, that's okay. Apologize and move on. So now you got the misgendering thing in the bag. Gold star. And that's Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because I put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch I am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you I really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not you can donate as low as a dollar a month it doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So, y'all, <laughs> listen. Marsha's plate, girl. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened, girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know, she always got let the me, story. Girl, let me tell you what happened. What's the tea? Listen, so me and Z pulled up at Memorial Mall here in Houston, and I was like, you know what? Because I, I listened to Queen, and she was saying on the on her podcast, Tea with Queen and Jay. I go, shout out to them. Definitely go check them out. Um, I was actually they have a, a recent show that they did on. Um, um, female rappers. Check yeah, out. yeah. I put the link in the bottom. I love that. Episode. Yeah, so my good girlfriends. And so, the, <laughs> so Queen was talking about how candles help her with her moods and throughout her day. And I was like, you know what? Because you know, I used to work at Bath and Body Works, and I love candles because I I got accustomed to smelling them all the time. So I said, you know what? Let me do some self care. Let me go get me some small candles because I work from home. So I I be wanting a cute little smell here and there. So I was like, let me go to go get me some candles. You know, my 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 everyday slides kind of worn out. Let me get a new pair. It's time for right. new. You know, ready up some self care, <laughs> baby. When we got in the parking lot, I said, okay, we parking. It was crowded because, you know, it's tax-free weekend. Right. So the girls was out. Yeah. And c- baby, 
me and Z was about to park and we see people running. And I'm like, what's the, I said, I said, hold on Z, what's the confusion? Cause I seen people doing the abnormal stuff. Everybody didn't look like it was, <laughs> <laughs> like they, they look. They stampeded, bitch. <laughs> I was like, oh no, wait a minute, hold on, don't park yet. So I got, I got my dumb ass got out the car, but I need to know what was going on. So I got out the car and started asking these this group of white people that that were just standing on the court and watch, corner watching all the commotion. Meanwhile, <laughs> it was this black. I'm sorry, not to interrupt. Meanwhile, it was this black woman. Her daughter, the black lady, was like hyperventilating. And then, like, it was Hispanic people on the side that was, like, crying. And the white people was just standing there, like, just yeah, calm. we're just talking. <laughs> they were just and then I was joking. Mia was like, what's their names? I was like, Tom, Toby, and Jenna. And then I, and we were I just said, they fast. They fast real quick. <laughs> like, we were just joking because they were just standing there like it was normal. Okay, go ahead. So, so I got out and I went straight to them because I knew they had been sitting. I knew they knew the tea. And they was like, I don't know. I think they were. I think they were foreign because they had an accent. So I think they may have been European. And so they were like, Oh, people were just running out. We're not sure what happened. So I'm like, Okay, bitch, there's more to it. So we, I go, I go to the black woman because now I'm, I'm like. I'm concerned. I want to know what's going on because she's hyperventilating. She's crying. She's with her daughter. Her daughter looks like she's about to go. I'm like, uh, what's going on? So I go over to her. I'm like, are you fine? Is everything okay? What happened? And she was like, I just, I just think they were shooting in the mall. Um, I said, oh, they were shooting. <laughs> Z, Z, Z parks the car and was about to um put on the um the visor. I said, oh no, uh, uh-uh, we're leaving. <laughs> it's time to go. He was like, what's going on? I said, oh, so I just found out they were shooting, baby. Z had got us out of there so fast no, they, they no, was tra- no. right right when they were right when we were just like hmm yeah, i'm not sure babe we was still like on the break on the yeah. brink about it and then right when we was i was about to put on the sunshade and like a whole bunch of people just started running out, like towards our and way shit. and then there was one guy that was like get out the car and then this lady got out her car and just started running I was like, oh, people my were getting out the cars and I'm running across the street to the hospital, which was smart because should you never know what could happen. And then we met some um, lady at the vigil who said uh, four black girls had jumped in her car while she was in the area and she had to put them to safety. So we end up finding out, y'all. That a crazy motherfucker was in the food court popping fucking firecrackers. Girl. And they say he was on the tables, like making bomb threats too. And but why and would ready you, to go to jail? Why would you do that right the, after what happened? Yeah, and in the environment, and right after what happened in El Paso. But you know what's crazy though? What made me really feel like it was real is because it was a lot of Latinx people that I saw, like mm-hmm. a lot. And you know, everybody's getting ready to go back to school, so it's a lot of people in there. So I was like, this would be the perfect time. For, to target Latinx yeah, people, right? to target folks. And I thought it was really real. So I got us out there so quick. Baby. I was honking that horn, like, get the fuck out the way, making baby. illegal turns. We was out of there. Z was thinking quick. I said, that's my baby. I kissed him. I, I, play, a lot of, I, play, I play a lot of video As games. Baby. <laughs> I play a lot of Grand Theft Auto. It was people just stuck there sitting. I said, baby, get around them. Right. No, yeah. And like, so, I really was thinking myself, like, we need a gun, like yeah, cause like you being a black trans woman, like I know I'm not about to go out and just shoot people, like like what you were saying, Diamond. You a black trans woman? If you have the capability of not going out and killing people, 
these white motherfuckers can do the same thing. Right. Because well, they always blame it on mental Yeah. Illness. They blame it on their past history, their problems. Da 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 da. I'm a, we, we got 16 black trans women that have been, well, no, 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 I'm sorry. 16 trans folks that have been murdered, and 15 of them are black trans women. Mm-hmm. And so, and all under the age of 30. I, and I'm directly dealing with the trauma of because we are reporting, because we, we get emails, we get, hey, this person is missing, hey, this person got, because they know that we are the news source, mm-hmm. um, people like me, um, us. Um, Monica, mm-hmm. um, Dee Dee, they, they send us, when something is going on around the country, they send us emails and tell us what's going on. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, this I think this is my cousin who's been misgendered. Yeah. Hey, this is da 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 And I think this is my cousin. They're calling her a he, but this is an actual trans woman. But mm-hmm. they're calling her a he and using her dead name. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, they send us this information, and so we're constantly dealing with the trauma of the situation. So mm-hmm. if anybody has a reason to pop off in this yeah. motherfucking country, <laughs> it should be us. Yeah. But we, we're we taking care of it. We're handling it. We're being of sound mind. Mm-hmm. So that's no, no fucking excuse for them to do it. So I got a question. Mm-hmm. So like that situation, y'all didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. With these shootings go- going on, do, does it give you anxiety in going out into public spaces? Because I was just going yeah. to the mall, you and, know. Mm-hmm. Did you even, in that moment when you see something going on, yeah, you get some anxiety. But I'm talking about, like, has it, mm, had it, give, it, has it given you second thoughts to be out in public in situations like that? Because literally I was going to the mall, so y'all didn't think about it. It makes me think about, like, I don't. I. You know what? I'm. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be 100. If I don't get anxiety from going out, Z said on the way that he don't want to go out anymore, and it, it well, it questions him going out. But I. But I just feel like I don't know why I feel like your life got to go on. You can't let like, these people, these yeah. terrorists, win. Like I feel like I'm a sneaky bitch. I'm a. I'm a hide somewhere real fast before I, <laughs> before they get me. But I'm gonna see them before they. See, I feel that way. But no, you do I, be I, on your. <laughs> Baby, listen, when Z don't be catching something, I'll be like, uh-uh. Look at that. Do you see that? <laughs> but like, 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 oh, even when that. we got there, me was like, uh-uh, look at her. She crying. Oh, what's going on? Something yeah, going Z on. Yeah, Z was like all in the cloud. I was like, no, we good. Like, she probably, something probably happened. Like, she probably can't breathe. Like, mm-hmm. you know. No, that was not normal. But as far as me, like... I ain't gonna lie, I get kind of, like, before I used to get anxious, like, I used to get really anxious before all these shootings was happening, like, well, not before, like, before it started to increase, I kind of already had anxiety of being in, like, crowded places because I had, like, claustrophobia, so it was kind of like I already had anxiety around that, but now I'd be like, damn, now I feel like I got to stay away from, like, really crowded places because I feel like, especially if there's going to be a lot of, like, minorities there mm. it's like i feel like like even at pride i'd be like ooh, mm. if somebody wanted to do some shit right now with us they mm. probably would if they really hated yeah. us like that i did me personally i did think about shit yeah at, in, new when york? I, in new york when i was at world pride uh, yeah. i did think about some stuff that was the that was the stonewall 50th anniversary they knew yeah. it was gonna be packed and it was packed baby packed as fuck. it Both. was packed as fuck all you seen was rainbows everywhere it was packed it was a celebration i I see no trans I, flags, but go ahead. I was over it. I did see some in some places. Oh, one or two or three. Not as much as oh, the no rainbow. Worries. Yeah, not as, as much as the rainbow. Of course. But um, it 
it it it it was something that I thought about. I was like, if they were planning to get us, yeah, this would be. I'd be thinking that. Yeah, Baby. I did. I don't want to say I, I. I'm like you in regards to like day to day life. Like yeah. I, I'll go on and I don't think about it. But in that situation, <laughs> right. I did. In New York, it's I was mostly like, Ooh. it's mostly when I'm in like super crowded places where minorities gonna be. I'd be like, damn. This could be or a marginalized people. Mm-hmm. That's mainly when it happens now. Mm. <laughs> but and but you, it's that you have sound belief in the reason why you feel the way you feel because of the statistics and what's going on in America. Like you just never know. Like and and it's, and, and it, it may just be me, but it to me it seems like it's happening more frequently now. Of like, course, like when I tell, like oh, every time you no, Sorry. every time you <laughs> look at the news, somebody is getting shot up, or, or not someone, or a a, gr- a group of people are being targeted. Like every time, yeah. So and it's always white man. Yeah, like I like I said, like last episode, like statistically, the next mass shooting. Like when I said that the same day, it was a mass shooting. Um, when I said statistically, the next mass shooting is supposed to be in two days, and then like that same day. A mass shooting happened. And then, was it the one in Dayton that happened on a Sunday? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, when you were talking about the people. No, no, no. No, no, no. The one in El Paso. So, the one happened in El Paso. Right. Like, nine or ten hours later. Not some hours later. Mm -hmm. The one in Dayton happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I said that, that's when the one in Dayton happened. And then when we were talking about the 16 people, the 16 trans people that killed one of the people, uh, 15 of them were black trans women. One of them was actually uh, Connor Bates. I think his name is Connor, whatever, the dude that shot the mass shooter in Dayton. Mm-hmm. He, he shot his brother. It was perceived as his sister, but it turned out to be his brother. And because they his name was him. Jordan. But he, the brother only came out to uh a select amount of people like mm-hmm. close friends and right. so the friends came out and was like nah jordan told us about his identity we should get this together but it took me a minute to even find information that this was a trans guy like i you look it up and all you see is sister 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 right because the right. just a, a little bit of clarity the person who did the mass shooting killed his sister as well but because they misgendered the person, right? We know, we now know, because of his family and friends, that it wasn't his sister; it was his brother, brother. his right. trans, trans brother. brother. And right. so, once again, this is a moment when misgendering have slowed down the process of us getting this information. Because yeah. if, if his friends and family wouldn't have said, ah, 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 yeah. hold on. We wouldn't have known the information. It would have just been, oh, this was a victim of the mass shooting. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have known our our particular community connection to the mass murder. And the me and the mass media outlets, like the major, I mean, the major media outlets still didn't correct it. So I mean, it's just kind of like if you look it up, you'll find it. But like on these news sources, that could be like, um, this is like not a major news source it's just somebody saying something so that kind of makes people not really believe certain stuff and plus their concern is not that their concern is how can we politicize this if you're on the if it's a right wing 
um, uh, media source. It's just about how I can we make this that. about saving our guns and how yeah. can we make this about blaming video games and how can we make this about blaming who is not to blame it, it, <laughs> it's so weird because like when i was looking up the hashtag of memorial city mall the, the what mia was talking about they're so weird like it's like white people don't be giving a fuck because like this one like i was trying to figure out more news on it that's how i found out it was fireworks this one person was like they try any agenda to get rid of our guns so now they're just going to keep targeting more people, more people like those, those weird conspiracy theories that be because the issue way is not, off. We, I, yeah. like I said, I want to keep my gun. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I want yeah, to yeah. keep my things. It's not mm-hmm. about that is a part of the constitution that we are allowed to bear arms. Right. That is a part of our constitution. Nobody right. is trying to change that part of the constitution. Right. What we are trying to do is regulate who can mm-hmm. get certain types of guns? These mm-hmm. mass murders are, are being done with guns that should not be in civilian hands. Right. They are the guns were intended to kill multiple people. Mm-hmm. A civilian doesn't need that. Right. In order to exactly. protect yourself, you don't need no big fucking AK forty seven that can kill mm-hmm. a million people. If you are in if you are in a threat, usually it's one person. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? If somebody break into mm-hmm. your home, it's one person. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Or if you have a, a regular gun mm-hmm. if, and it's two or three people in your mm-hmm. home, you can wear them ass out, wear their ass out with a regular mm-hmm. gun. So mm-hmm. it's not, we want to make sure that the people who are buying guns mm-hmm. are monitored. Mm-hmm. We want it not to be easy to get the gun if mm-hmm. they have mental issues, if they have a history of abuse, mm-hmm. if they have a history of violence. They can't, if you, if you fucking been. Uh, attacking and assaulting and domestic violence in your wife, motherfucker, you don't need no fucking gun. Yeah. You got a history of domestic violence? No, because it's so many women being murdered by their husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a history of fucking being violent, you should not have a gun. You should not, it should mm-hmm. be, and it's on record. Mm-hmm. Yo, you should not have a gun. So we want to make regulations so that people who are mentally unsafe. They can't just go get a gun why? and go out here. Uh, yeah, I want like, them to why? make regulations, but I don't want them to violate our privacy. <sighs> Explain yeah. that. Like I don't like I don't want them to somehow make a regulation <clears throat> where oh well because you know they come up with all types of shit where they can like come and search your home if, if say for instance you're on the I'm just making some shit up if they say that um, you're on this list of people who are not supposed to have guns they can come search and make sure that you don't have one or um, but, but what we know about people in general we're all we're resourceful as fuck so you you can get I'm there's pretty sure people to, will figure ways, ways to, to get around it because overseas, like when you think about when I think about guns and the gun laws and things, I don't just think about America. I think about um, like how like distribution is like how um, we've supplied other countries with weapons and, and vice versa, just how that works and how how the things in other countries affect us, too, because we're all connected in some way, even though people people refuse to th- to to really think about those intricate details, I feel like I think um, as a whole, like tackling that as a whole is going to be very very hard. And I think we've been trying to do that for years, darling. But what they started doing though is people that come from other countries. What they started to tell them is you no. Know, 
mass shootings are a threat here, just to let you know. Like, that's one thing they started doing. And then in Texas, they're, they plan on loosening the laws, the gun laws here even more. So it's just a lot of... And, getting, and yeah, that, that is a good point. People, if they want a gun... They yeah. can get around it. I I totally think yes, yeah. it, it, people do that. Yeah, yeah. But legally obtaining a gun should be oh, regulated. Yeah. It of should course. that part should be regulated. It should be. We shouldn't mm-hmm. make it easy to get AK forty seven. To get an AK forty seven, <laughs> we shouldn't make it easy for people to just do that. Exactly. Now, if you get around it, you know, cool. Not cool, but you know, that's just you got around the loophole or whatever. But. We shouldn't make it easier. We shouldn't make it, mm-hmm. like you said, they're trying to make the rules even more lax. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be going that direction. It should be going to the direction of regulating. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, when the Black Panther Party was walking around with their guns, they the N, the, the NRA was about, mm, let's, we need to regulate. We need to change these rules because these niggas got guns. Of course. Of course. You know, they, it was, they didn't mind back then when we was take when we were when we were taking up arms like our constitutional constitutional mm-hmm. rights said they didn't mind regulating it then mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden that is the white terrorists shooting up motherfuckers <gasps> well these violent video games yeah, we're gonna, everything yeah. except taking responsibility right so yes so rest in peace to what is the trans man's name? Jordan Betts yeah so rest in peace to uh, whatever the last name is Jordan Jordan Betts yeah yeah, definitely. I wonder, is the reason why they were um, murdered was was it in re because they were trans or was it? Because they don't know. They just don't know. It just Mm-mm. knows that are trans. But men. the fact that you would kill your sibling is kind of like that's so, crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. That's mm. not kind of that is psycho. Um, my subject is Toni Morrison and I, and I want to know, um, you know, what do y'all know about Toni Morrison? Me? Wow. Oh, y'all, you want me to go first? Okay. So I don't know anything about Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. I just know she looks lovely. Um, (laughs) well, she looked lovely. Um, she, she, I loved her, her hair. Um, um. And and it sounds so like small because I don't know anything about her, but I know that she was loved dearly and that the world was affected by her loss right. because I seen all the 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 love that was pouring through just different um, social media and websites or just mm-hmm. different people that I came in contact with. So she's what I do know now from speaking with Diamond because it's definitely somebody who um, helped you reflect on who you were in general. Um, she she's a brilliant woman. I didn't know she um, created Beloved. I didn't know she um, had right because you got introduced her through the movie through Oprah's. Oprah. Yeah, yeah. Oprah's movie, which is sickening. Yeah. So, but I love. I would love to read the books, especially all the books that you you talked uh, talk to me about. I don't know if you're going to mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I I I feel like. I, I wish I would have met her and I would have known about her while she was here. And, and, and you know, then it's all about, and it makes me think of, you know, give people their roses while they're here. Yeah. Oh, she definitely got her roses. But in, but in the sense of like everybody that we're talking about, especially we're talking about a lot of death now well, mm-hmm. on this episode is the, the, the black trans woman that was found. What was she found on the highway? Oh, I don't know. 
details. The black trans woman that was found, the the um, white trans man that was killed during the um, well at the mass shooting in. I don't know if it, when it was done, but just in general, all these deaths, you know, people get people their, their roses while they're here. You yeah. Know? Well, what I know about her is she won a Nobel Peace Prize, right? She was the Nobel laureate, which is that magnitude. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I know she was a, a brilliant writer. Um, she would read them white folks to feel. Yes. <laughs> Every <laughs> interview. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it to death. She reminds me a lot uh, about, like, she, in a sense, she remind like, her radical, like, carefreeness to whiteness. Like, she reminds me a lot of my big mama. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's just, that's, that's about it. It was just, I really loved how she centered our people. Like her people. And I think she's, of course, she's been Mm. popularized by her um, writing. But one of the things that is less talked about Mm -hmm. is her editing and how when she was a random Mm. house, um, a lot of the books that have been African-American staples Mm -hmm. um, that came out of random house, like um, Muhammad Ali, Mm -hmm. um, um, Angela Davis, Um, you know, just some people who she intentionally, because she was in the position of power Mm -hmm. by being an editor there, she intentionally went and plucked Mm -hmm. these people so we do not forget their stories. Mm -hmm. So, because she understood the power of them telling their stories. And there was a, there was a time when things were going on and she felt like these needed to be documented in books. And so she was mm. like, let me, even though Angela was like, I'm too young. Because she was in her 20s, like early 20s, I think, mm. mid-20s or something. And she was like, I'm too young to be thinking about writing a, you know, a memoir. Like, mm. I have, I just start living. But, you've you done know. so much. You've done so much yeah. already. You was fuck on the FBI list. Hell <laughs> so, yeah, you ain't got loose. Exactly. You got free. Exactly. So yeah. Tony was like, this is an important story. So convincing her to be able to write her um, autobiography or her memoir. And then I remember she, wow, the, I didn't she, know that. she was talking, um, she was talking about, you know, just, um, when Muhammad Ali was trying to do, do his, and she always tells a story about how when he would be in the room, everybody would be kissing his motherfucking ass mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah. And he would kind of ignore her until she put on the air of an older woman. Like, yo, yo, Ali, sit your ass over here. Like, <laughs> really? You know, yeah, and then yeah, because yeah, yeah. he respected older women, yeah. he didn't dismiss her like he would right. do anybody else. Right. Um, she said she remembered when she first met him, she would ask him questions and he would answer the men that was in the room when she oh. would ask the question. Yeah. Mm. And she was like, hmm, I need to change this. And once she realized um, that that his, not his crux, but his... Um, his personality was to respect older women. That's what she gave. She was mm. like, oh, that's the personality I need to give you in order for you to respect me. Mm. And so that's she turned that on, that motherly older woman. And once she did that, she said his whole personality towards her changed. And he was like respecting her like a mother, you know, mm. like that. That's kind of how I get when I'm around older black women. Like mm-hmm. I humble myself more than I normally would. Oh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she played to that to get him to do. <clears throat> you got some work to do, nigga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do. Let's, I do. Let's do. Let's let let's do. No, no. I'm talking about Muhammad. Oh, okay, she, okay, she, okay. She was, she was saying that to him. You got some work to do, nigga. Okay. You're not just gonna sit in this room and get your ass kissed. We're trying to write this book. Come right. on. 
Got you. And so um, her editing and her ability to see mm. what we needed and see what other people, other writers and other talents were out there and being able to use her platform as an editor to come in and educate people. Um, another thing that she was that she talked about was how when she wanted to, I think if she wanted to leave Princeton, she wherever she was for a long time, she was I think it was Princeton and she was teaching there, but it was getting like boring. It was like it was like mm, it's I'm uh, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she was think she was talking to them about her leaving. And so uh, they were asking, like, asking her what would get her to stay. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well. Let's start a program where we bring in actual working artists, actual working people to come in with me and teach class and teach them a, pro- a, a part of this art process in the moment with somebody who was a working person and incorporate mm. them into my lectures, incorporate them into my teaching, because we all will be learning and getting something, getting something from it. And, Beautiful. you know, and I want to I want to be able to do that. So that will be, be a reason for me to say. So they allowed her to bring actual working artists of different various fields and come and do work with her. So, so that smart. was really, really amazing. So I wanted my segment to be about how Toni Morrison affected my life because Toni Morrison was like for me my michael jackson like what you when you see people crying and and oh, <laughs> and, and going michael. nuts for celebrities tony morrison was that person for me mm. she was somebody who just had such an impact in my life that me hearing about her death although that she is 88 and she did get her flowers and she did get all of the things that um you know, she had an extraordinarily accomplished life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it still was devastating to me. So I wanted to talk about why she was so important to my life. So I was introduced to Toni Morrison around 12 or 13. This was a time in my life when I felt like I was just drifting. Like I felt every everything in my life was different from the year before. Everything that I had known my life to be had crumbled. My mother was thick into the early stages of her addiction. Thick in it. She had went to prison. My grandmother had kicked me out because I because of my queerness. And I was sent to a group home for boys. It felt like like I didn't like I was in like every I, I just can't explain it. Like I was in a fucking twilight zone. This was a time where nobody was, you know, nobody had stepped into their own. We're talking about 12, 13 year olds. Nobody, I didn't have a tribe because being friends with a queer person would diminish your social capita. 
<laughs> and so being finding friends was really really hard and at this time people hadn't like I said stepped into their own so finding somebody that was firm in who they were was really difficult because we all were lost we all were battling and finding who we were going and at different stages some people don't find out who they were or a sense get a sense of self until they're in their 30s and 40s 50s 60s sometimes um but you know some people based on just kind of temperament and based on life experiences they kind of they kind of kind of get their footing in high school of who they are or at least a, a strong hold of, of a start in that. And so that's where I was at. I was lost. I was drifting. And, you know, I felt like I was battling every single thing around me. I felt like I was bad. I, I didn't feel like I was loved by anybody. I felt othered as fuck. I felt like I was battling my family. I felt like I was battling my peers. I felt like I was battling. I was living in a fucking group home full of strangers, um, strange boys that I didn't, that weren't my family. Um, but with staff members that came in, in shifts, um, it just, it just was cold. It was disconnected. It was a strange place from what I was used to. I was used to be in a, in my home with my mother and my family being happy and a, a year before and, and a, well, maybe not a year, maybe three years before this. And so this was after the shift. This was after the shift. Everything was just different. Everything was strange everything was cold everything was against me so my English teacher English teachers are powerful for well they have been in my life um, throughout my education my English teachers are the ones who really expanded me My fifth grade English teacher, she brought in the bluest eye. Now, at the time, I didn't know that the book had been, there were campaigns launched to ban this book. (laughs) Um, I didn't learn that until years later, um, listening to interviews with Toni Morrison. I wasn't an avid reader. I wasn't a reader. I wasn't, um, you know, prior to this, I think the extent of my reading, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't an avid reader, but I, I read some. There were some things that I read that were, um, I enjoyed. Like, I think prior to Toni Morrison, I think my the books that I read were like The Boxcar Children. <laughs> um, I don't even remember the author's name of The Boxcar Children, but, um, you know, that's what that's what I read. <laughs> And when she brought the bluest eye in, I can't say I was particularly interested. I was like, um, you know, this is this is just for school. So, of course, I'm going to read it for school just so I can um, make my grades or whatever. As I read it. I felt like 
I felt while reading this, I was I was wondering like, whoa, this is this is different. This is um this is almost it felt like you know how <laughs> it felt like when when I started to read it and I went back and talked to my teacher, not talked to my teacher, but when I went when I was excited about going back to this class and talking about this book, it felt like a grown person had given me permission to be in grown folks business. <laughs> Like they had given me permission to be in grown folks business because this was there was some adult concepts in um, the bluest eye and coming from a family that had been ravaged by sexual assault and mostly silence about it. Like, I don't know one woman in my family that has not been either raped or sexual assaulted, not one that doesn't have some history of that kind of trauma. And so talking about it or when arguments will bubble up and those things will be brought up out of anger or brought up out of confet like in a confessional confession way, like we never talked about this. So this is what happened to me. Like, you know, sometimes when families argue and families go through stuff, when something like everybody had something like that, that would come up, and when it would come up, they would, they would, that's the moment when they would stop talking. Like that's the moment they, it would come, it would bubble up out of anger and then it would stop. They would be like, I'm going too far. They wouldn't say that, but you, their body language and their voice and them stopping talking about it said, okay, I'm going too far. They would be silenced either by themselves or by somebody else. Somebody else will say, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to, um, it just was common. It, it wasn't in every single person. Like I'm telling you in conversations that would come up, it would be, it would just, it would just be muffled. It would just, just be cut off. Nobody would talk about it. Or the conversation would turn into, why are you blaming me for this? I didn't do this. I didn't have anything to do with it. It happened to me too. I'm dealing with it. Why can't you deal with it? Why we got to talk about this? I'm dealing with it. I'm not bringing it up. It turned into people who were around making excuses and being shamed into explaining why their actions weren't enough or something like that. So it wouldn't be about, it would be a grown folks conversation. And if I was in the room, I would be pushed out. I would be, um, it would, even I as a child would become the tool to silence the people and to silence the people. You going to talk about this in front of the kids. You going to talk that these kids is in here. They don't need to hear all of that. It would be those kind of conversations. It would I would be used as a tool. So, but as a child, uh, intelligent, smart, you know, precocious child, I knew I can understand some of the conversation. I was curious what happened. And when I would confide in people 
about my mother's addiction, about um, what was the, the destruction that was happening in my life, the adults around me would say, oh, your mother has just been through so much. You just don't understand her life. Like she just, she's been through so much. This is, this is to be expected. But they didn't explain it. They didn't explain what was happening. So being invited into an adult conversation about this type of subject was intriguing to me at 12. And I wanted to go back to class. I wanted to go back back to class and say, ooh, um, yeah, I want to sit right here because, you know, this is grown folks business and I want to talk about it. I, I, You're giving me permission to be in grown folks business. Anyway, so discussing that book in class and my enthusiasm around it and the enthusiasm of the people who actually participated in the assignments <laughs> um, really livened up this rather mundane classroom experience. I felt like my teacher looked like a witch. <laughs> she was scary to me. I didn't like her. I didn't like her tone of voice. I didn't like her look. She had she was white. She had red hair. She had these blue eyes <laughs> I, her look was what I, I imagined a witch to look like like a witch that was out of costume <laughs> and she was quite mean not and I wasn't necessarily mean just quite um quite dry and um this classroom was f- boring it was boring but once we started to read the bluest eye and we started to discuss it in the classroom with her, like her whole demeanor changed. Like you can feel like she just, the passion in her, the passion, you can tell she really, really enjoyed this book. And you actually can tell that she had intention in bringing this book in this space and we were reveling in the book, the particular people who were discussing it. And you can tell that whatever her intention was, this was exceeding what she thought about because she was, you can see the elation. You can see her being elated about us discussing it and, and analyzing it and the purpose like like it, the purpose of her teaching about this book was being revealed like or or coming to fruition so even her demeanor in the classroom like this boring ass classroom <laughs> turned into this passionate fun exciting place to be and i hadn't had a classroom like that since since like at this time I was in fifth grade since like kindergarten prior to kids growing up and calling you faggots <laughs> you know because after kindergarten it gets you know for me it got bad because school got bad it was 
Why you act like a girl? And <laughs> you gay. <laughs> so Clag going to school was not a pleasant place. So this is the first time where I was enjoying going to class and discussing the bluest eye. Picola, breed love. The main character, one of the main characters in the bluest eye was her particular dilemma of wanting blue eyes had a particular resonance with a young trans person like myself wanting something that you feel would make your life better but although our circumstances was vastly different that one little thread of relatability gave me um kept stringing me along as I read the book and analyzed the book within my classroom with my teacher. Now, of course, I didn't discuss that with my teacher. (laughs) The trans connection, a part of it, but it definitely was a connection. It it was just two things that I just just didn't want to be. And one of those things is I didn't want to be a boy. And I didn't want to be light-skinned. At this age, the bigger picture of colorism was not, I was ignorant to the big picture. At 12 years old, I have lived from, bullying started like after kindergarten, like around six. So between six and 12 years old, I'm not learning about slavery. I'm not learning about anything like that. Any of the big picture stuff, I'm not learning about it. You're learning your basic shit. You're reading basic books, reading the basic fundamentals. So I didn't know the bigger picture. All I knew between six and 12 was that when I was being bullied, what I was being bullied for was being feminine and being light skinned. Everybody, but I knew everybody was getting bullied by for something. I've seen people getting roasted and, um, you know, red for being dark skinned. I've seen, seen people being roasted and being red for being fat. I've seen people <clears throat> getting roasted and being red for poor, like coming to school dressed with poor clothes, like something that wasn't the, the hot thing to have. Um, but my shit, my own shit, when people would chase me home from school, when I was scared, when I was getting pushed and chased home from um a third grade it was you think you all that you think you a pretty boy you uh, oh um why you act like a girl why you feminine oh you a fag oh you gay oh um it my light skinnedness as a little boy was not a privilege to me And as I'm sitting here, think about it. If I keep it 100, I didn't see very stark differences in colorism until I became a woman. And and looking at things around me and what people were saying, it was that colorism difference and privilege, that gap of privilege was much, much wider when I became a woman in comparison to dark girls. 
and but that's when I noticed it because once I hit 13, I transitioned. And then I started to see how they were treating my darker skin friends and at, at, compared to how they were treating me. There was a stark difference. But as a boy, I was I don't I didn't see the privilege of being a light skinned little boy. It just it just it, I just didn't see it. Um, and it might it might have been. But in, in my youth at that time, I didn't know the bigger picture to look for maybe the nuances, but it didn't feel like a privilege like it did when I was a girl. Now, as I got older and I saw the bigger picture, I, it really expect it really didn't become clear to me until my my darker skinned brother was born. Because the brother that's after me, he would still be considered light skinned. So my family did the same thing to him that they did to me. We were praised for our looks. We were praised for stuff. But there was no comparison for me to learn and see the difference until my younger brother was born. When my younger brother was born, he, the one that I've had on the show, he was the one that was, you know, he was the darkest of us. And I would hear conversations. I would hear and hear them call him little things and and it, it just I would hear these things. And so that's when my brother, when he started to when he that's when I started noticing things and I didn't realize it was privilege. I just n- noticed a difference. And so being a yellow little boy didn't in my life wasn't a privilege for me. So I wanted to be darker skin and I wanted to be a girl because I felt like. You know, I I identify with girl stuff. So I related to wanting something that I thought would make my life better. You know, I was, you know, I just I just thought those were the things that would make my life better if I had just been born another way. So that that was the strand of connection with Picola Breedlove. I got more and more into reading and certain books had different meanings. I was looking for my tribe in high school and college. I was finding them, but slowly, you know, it was slowly but surely I was finding my tribe. I was finding one person here, one person there, one person there, one person there. So the perfect book came along for me, which is actually, I don't want to say, I think, I think it's her least, um, it's Toni Morrison's least popular one or least selling one, I think. And that is, paradise it gave me insight on colorism that I didn't think about the idea of these group of women finding community with each other and your imagination of who these women were my imagination of who these women were and they were you know the women that were thrown away the women that were shunned or judged or um you know all the things that they were 
uh, and them finding community with, with each other and then people coming in and attacking them. For a person who was looking for a tribe, for a person who was looking for that kind of community at the time, this book was powerful for me in particular. Then later down the line, I read Beloved. And this was a time when me and my mother was reconciling and and trying, I'm trying to get a grasp of understanding motherly love understanding um sacrifice understanding how far that goes how deep that goes and to read a story about a woman that was that was a runaway slave and in order for her to have some type of control and some type of um you know some type of shit control shit that's the word it's like some type of you know say in her children's lives and to not let them go back to the plantation sweet home (laughs) it's uh, she killed her children and so a person who is coming to grips with learning that motherly love was not infallible. It wasn't perfect. It was complicated. It was not this romantic thing that they try to sell you on, on the TV. It wasn't romantic. It was sometimes it was ugly, but it was what it was. It was, it was it was still love it was still set the although the action that is actually happening is harsh and complicated it was done out of love so it just was difficult it was difficult listening to it it, it was difficult listening to my mother try to explain um, to me as a child of an addict, I didn't understand why my why motherly love was not strong enough to get over the addiction. And so analyzing and reading Beloved helped me break open why look, this this motherly love thing is complicated. It's not what you think it is. And it's not fair. It's not fair for you to hold your mother. It's not fair for you to hold your mother up to that unreasonable expectation. Your mother is just doing the best that she can in the situation that she's in. And analyzing Setha's situation that she was in allowed me to be able to forgive my mother. It wasn't a fairy tale. 
It wasn't that. It was complicated. Life made it complicated from the inside and from the outside. You can't you can't live up to that all the time. But love is still there. And so in my in my twenties and my thirties, that's when you start to get in relationships. Romantic relationships. And so in comes Song of Solomon, in comes love and jazz and navigating being in love and and being a strong woman being a woman who knows themselves like pilot and loving men for different reasons and how there are many different aspects of of one man that somebody could love and then we go to playing in the dark which talks about how to be yourself in the literary world outside of the white gaze and that's where I'm at now just trying to do work that pushes culture forward from my particular corner of the world and Toni Morrison has been just a just an epic part of my life a part of what I do I'm up I've been obsessed with her <laughs> since my early teens and um yeah it's like so much so like I would I would sleep to interviews to Toni Morrison like I would I took the sound from interviews of Toni Morrison and loop them like use like GarageBand or whatever <laughs> and loop them into a a, a a eight hour it may not be eight it might be five but I don't know I looped them into a track that is just her interviews her talking and her being her brilliant self sharing her brilliant mind and her voice the tone of her voice was so soothing that it's something that I could sleep to. And so I would, I have it as a track that plays on repeat while I sleep. And I've been like this for, it's been going over like eight to 10, eight years, eight to 10, however long YouTube I've been on YouTube. So yeah, like 10. <laughs> and so hearing hearing things that she say like I could recite certain parts of interviews <laughs> because I sleep to the motherfuckers <laughs> I can recite it like verbatim and so um, I recently went to see the documentary about her life and it's it's amazing and so affirming that you know the work that we do can align so pitch perfectly with somebody so brilliant as Tony. My thoughts and integrity about my creative process, making it authentic and making it specifically for black people. I feel like Tony 
it because it aligns with that's how she did her creative work. I just feel like, wow. Thank you. Like, thank you for giving us another way to be. Thank you for existing. Thank you for caring enough about us to do the work that you do with the care and sensitivity and precision that you do it to where it can just break yokes and just lead a whole new generations of creatives in a better direction, no matter what genre they're in. I really wanted to spend the time on my particular platform to honor Toni Morrison's legacy, honor what she has done in the literary world and in the world as a whole, but particularly for being like a grandmother to me, the grandmother that I needed. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this particular episode. I did a interview with the F-Bomb, which is the Women's Media Center's intersectional teen feminist media platform. It is created for and by socially conscious youth. And I thought it was an amazing opportunity. I will put the link in the bottom. So make sure you go check it out and support that. Click the link. Get some traffic over there. They're doing great work for the teen community. And I just think it's beautiful that they wanted to include us. All right. Check it out. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's gonna be alright. Oh, don't you